So it's a, it's a long story, uh, but we had to read it because it's, it's the story that God's given us through the Bible. So if, if you haven't been with us um, before, our church has been going through the book of Acts, which is a book in the New Testament after Jesus uh, leaves the earth. And uh, we're here in a, um, a story basically of asking this question, how do we respond with pressures from the outside? The church here in Acts is very much experiencing a lot of pressure from the outside. And we, as the people of God, are experiencing the same kind of pressures now. Uh, it's not the same, but there's definitely pressures nonetheless. We have fear. We have anxiety. We have worry. And when you follow Jesus, those things just automatically, automatically disappear. So what do we do with them? I think it's really easy to be ruled by them. In 1 John 4, 4, uh, we read this. The one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. So instead of being ruled by our fears, Jesus has given us his Holy Spirit. And now because of him, we can rule over our fears. Instead of us being enslaved to our fears, we can have our fears enslaved us. And in this story in Acts, we read of the first martyr of the church. His name is Stephen here. He had something within him that was greater than fear. There's something that enabled him to live with a resolve, to live with a passion in completely horrible conditions. So Stephen had something worth dying for. And isn't that something kind of we all want? We all want to have that thing. I think we're all searching, regardless of where you are with Jesus or with church or whatever you believe about the Bible, all of us are searching after something that is worth living for, worth dying for. Nobody wants to be ruled by fear. And here's how we can have something within us that's worth dying fear, dying for. And it's that something, that someone that actually allows us to live a full life, regardless of the circumstances. Martin Luther King Jr. has a quote that I've shared in the past. If a man has not discovered something that he will die for, he isn't fit to live. So we're going to look at, we're asked the question, how did Stephen have this resolve? How did he have this passion when basically everything was against him? Uh, so we're going to look at three things. The first one is that Stephen was full of the spirit. He was full of the spirit. If we look um, all the way back up uh, to Acts 6, verse 8, it says, Stephen is a man full of God's grace and power. Uh, so he's full of grace and power. Now, grace and power together is a difficult thing to find. Not just someone with power, because power by itself can, can be horrible, can be completely abusive. But power accompanied by grace is something that changes people, something that changes the world. And this is the kind of thing that Stephen had, according to Luke, the author of Acts. And being gracious is being kind to people who don't deserve it. Having power is something is someone who's able to get things done. And those two things combined, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. And it, it, can change, it can change circumstances. And also can change how we go through circumstances. So he has fully grace and power. Also, a verse, have a look there at verse 10. Uh, people cannot stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. So there was wisdom that Stephen had. Not, not wisdom from humans, but wisdom from God. And, and if you look over here on, on the side, there's a bunch of references here I'm going to have up. We'll just run through really quickly about what wisdom is like. Uh, and they're not up right now. Do I have them? here exodus 31 no i don't so i'm just gonna read them because they're not up here this is what happens when we try new things uh so first um bezalel he was the the artist the artisan who who made the designs for the ark of the tabernacle for god's people in the old testament and so this is like like a um like a woodworker and exodus 31 3 this is god speaking says i have filled him the, this artisan bezalel with the spirit of god with wisdom with understanding with knowledge with all kinds of skills so wisdom from god is can can tr can uh, filter down even into like how we do how we go about our work how we use our hands 
Solomon, who is supposedly the most wise person ever to live, 1 Kings 3.28 says this, When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, this is Solomon, the king of Israel, they held the king in awe because they saw he had wisdom from God to administer justice. So Solomon had a wisdom, not from himself, a wisdom from God, and he used that wisdom to serve people, to administer justice, to, for people who were vulnerable to get the care that they needed. And in Job, that famous story in the Old Testament where horrible things happen to someone who doesn't deserve it, in Job, God is rightly recognized as the one with wisdom and powers in lots of places, but one spot is Job 12, 13. To God belong wisdom and power, counsel and understanding are his. So God has it, and he doesn't, he's not miserly with it, he's free, he freely gives it. Ultimately, we read this about Jesus in 1 Corinthians 1.30. It is because of the Father that you are in Christ Jesus. This is for people who follow Jesus. Because of the Father, you, you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. So Jesus himself is wisdom personified. And when we're his, we get his wisdom because we get his life. In a period now where we are, we said this last week, our world is dripping with data, but we're still like starving for wisdom. We're still starving for people who are wise to come through and teach us what life is like. Now, certainly wisdom is not something we can get through technology. It's not something we can get through university degrees. It's not something we can get through excelling in our careers. It comes from being with Jesus, according to the Bible. And wisdom is not just something for us. It's something for other people. I mean, we need wise people in our lives. Ecclesiastes 9.17 says, The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. That's what we need. We need that now. So that's full of the Spirit. And Stephen isn't working in his own power. Stephen is working in the Spirit's power. Stephen wasn't full of himself. He was full of the Spirit. Being full of the Spirit is automatically opposed to being full of ourselves. You cannot be full of yourself and full of the Spirit. There's no room for the Spirit to fill you if you're full of yourself. And how did this work out in Stephen's life? Well, the previous message that we talked about last week as a church, it was about community. Stephen was known. He was in community. He has recently been commissioned as the ministry coordinator for First Church of Jerusalem. And people, because people knew him, people knew him to be wise. People knew him to be gracious the way that it's talking about here. So this has all worked out in the context of community. So if we are full of the God of consumerism, the answer to our fear will always be to buy more, to get more, to hoard more. That's what's going to save us. If we are full of the God of our circumstance, we will always be slaves to the ups and downs of our world. And right now it's kind of mostly downs, isn't it? We'll be stuck in those ups and downs of the news cycle. That's not a good thing to live your life by. So being filled with the spirit is antithetical to being filled with ourselves. So when we, how, how do we apply this? Well, first, we aren't working out of our grace because our grace is going to be grace that's limited to who we think deserves it or not. And, and we want to be more generous than that. We're not limited to our power because we follow Jesus. He gives us a hope beyond what mere humans can offer. Like church is more than a nice community or it's, nor, it's more than doing nice community things. Of course, hopefully it includes that, but it's more than that. The church, as small and broken and right now as weird as it might be, is nothing less than the power of God himself working in a dark and listless world. That's what we get to do as people who are in relationship with each other through what Jesus has done. And this is not our wisdom. 
because doing right in our own eyes leads to horrible things, oppressing others without even meaning to. And human wisdom by itself is really nothing more than chasing our tails, going around in circles. Really, ultimately, all of this has to be worked out in the community. How are we going to find out what we're filled with ourselves? How are we going to be encouraged when we live out of being filled with the Spirit? We won't know all of this ourselves. Like you, you can't see your own face, although actually now we can see your own face. But like 99% of the time, you can't see your own face. You need someone saying, you, oh, you got a little bit of stuff there. Kind of knock that off. Like those who are filled with the Spirit think first about how to serve others. When pandemics come, the church is there. The wisdom of the world will lead to people freaking out, buying all the toilet roll they can or whatever the thing is, as if hoarding toilet roll will somehow keep our fears at bay. Coronavirus is an opportunity to be the people that we say we are. It doesn't give us license to not be wise, to not follow government advice, or not follow information from the NHS, obviously. But it does call us to think creatively about how we can best serve the most vulnerable, how we can stay connected as a church. Or at the least, it gives us excuses to chat with our neighbors in ways that we didn't have before. So when difficult times come, whatever they might be, these, uh, those who are full of the Spirit lean on the Spirit. We don't have to be full of ourselves. We don't have to lean on ourselves. Sometimes that might mean simple prayers, like I'm feeling anxious, God, and then that's it, or please help because I'm completely overcome with anxiety or I'm completely overcome with fear or I just feel like I don't have a purpose or I don't even know what to do or I don't even know what I'm feeling. And you can talk to God about that. Like he knows you better than that. So um, we'll, we'll take a break here. And uh, just, I would like to get some feedback from everybody about how uh, thoughts, reflections, how we can um, uh, you know, work this out. And I've unmuted you all. So if, if you're speaking in, just make sure you unmute yourself. But what, what might be some ways that we can uh, apply this now? Either Or maybe ways you've applied this during the week or ways you can maybe think of applying this um, ahead of time. Somebody has to say something. <laughs> I think I struggle a little bit because, you know, when, when you get something like this happen, my inclination would be to want to invite people over and band together and that's like against like it's the worst thing you could do right now um and it's that tension between you've got an opportunity to serve and help but then there's these barriers in the way and how, how do you play that out basically more of a question really yeah yeah how, how have other people been working through that and any ideas from other people Nay. I mean, one, one easy thing to do, I think, is, um, I mean, technology is great. So checking in via WhatsApp or, or whatever the things might be helpful. Um, also, if there are people that are um, nearby or on your street, you could always like, you know, um, slip something through their post box or just you know, their mail slot and just um, say, hey, here's my number. Here's my info if you need help or something like that. Um, but yeah, I, I think, uh, I think everyone's kind of everybody like the church and everybody is still kind of figuring out the answers to those kind of questions. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> um, I, think, um, I, I think as well, I think taking, you know, uh, taking things like doing, doing the self-isolation well and, and really, uh, applying to that, um, is a way of, of caring for, for those that are vulnerable and weak in our society as a whole. Um, um, 
because it's you know it's not uh, we're not generally going to be the people uh, who will <coughs> suffer as a result of coronavirus. There are people who are a lot more vulnerable. Um, so I think just just the process of self isolating is a good way of taking that seriously. Yeah. Well, I'm in the in the process of moving into a different part of the house because um, uh, obviously I've been on an annual leave all week, but now I'm going back to work tomorrow. So Lawrence and I are separating basically, uh, so that I can I can be um, still go to work, but and we can still live together. But I'm going to be um, sleeping in the front room. He's going to be doing all the cooking. I'm going to be coming. I'm going to be coming home, um, ch- sort of like changing in the airlock, which is the front porch, <laughs> and then going straight upstairs to the bathroom for a shower and getting, you know, myself sorted. And then we'll we'll have dinner together. But he'll be at one end of the room and I'll be at the other end of the room. So um, I'm just wondering how that's going to work and how whether we can maintain that. I guess it's just because Lawrence has got quite a lot of multiple pathologies, really, and he's quite at risk of catching it. Um, so, but I've got, I still have to go to work. Um, so, it was it was that's what we're going to do. So, I think for me, following that process of of um, keeping my distance from Lawrence is going to be really hard. Um, but uh, in my prayers, uh, the Lord has. Um, assured me that it, it's um, it will it will help me grow towards him because I'll have more time on my own with him. So um, so that will only you know enhance my relationship with the Lord really. So um, and as far as um, neighbours are concerned, um, uh, I've uh, you know there's a, my neighbour who who. Um, uh, is struggling to get all she's, she's got a large family she's struggling to get all the things that she needs so um so I have a, a, a weekly order on a on a Monday from Mercado so I've got massive amounts of toilet rolls and tins of tomatoes and beans and all that sort of stuff to to <laughs> to doll out to whoever needs it and in fact there's a there's um there's a whole load of toilet rolls in the front porch waiting for for uh, for Ian to come and collect because they've run out. So, <laughs> yeah. so yeah. So I think it's just a day by day, flexible, you know, not not really planning, just just making sure that you've got that you're you're listening to what people need and and listening to what God's telling you to do more than anything. I think because nobody knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, I don't. I don't know what's going to happen but there you go that's that's where i'm at at the moment that's going to be quite a silent way of loving people that first one we're talking about being separate from morals because people aren't going to see that you're loving people by going to work being a nurse and caring for people but they're not going to know that to do that you're going to have to be separated from your husband um so that's quite a beautiful thing that it's going to be quite thankless but it is still massively loving Mm. Yeah. Sorry, that was coming up. Um, we'll continue, but yeah, um, we'll have another break like this to get some things back. I think that's um, yeah, I, 
I think that's totally um, such a good point, Michael, that um, I think if anything, the church will get to be servants more than often. And servants are kind of, think of like old school version of a servant, like they're meant to like not be seen. They're kind of like there to, you know, they live somewhere else. They, you know, they, they're downstairs they're not upstairs. Um, but without them, like the house would completely fall apart. And it's a little bit of, uh, and in very, very many ways, a thankless job and sometimes very difficult and not, um, uh, not very rock star like, but I think, um, if there's any opportunity, if there has been any opportunity in, in kind of our lifetime for that to be the case for the church, like that's, that's now it's really now it's going to be a, thankless and often silent and probably invisible thing. Um, actually, that kind of, it goes really well with uh, the, the kind of the next point, which is that for, uh, for Stephen, um, well, that, actually, if you can look at um, verse two of chapter seven, he says, uh, so the, basically, so the, these rulers are, you know, they're in charge of whether he's going to go to prison, whether he's going to get locked up or, or, outcasted or, or even killed and basically and all these charges are fake and they're talking to Stephen like oh are all these charges true and he could basically say no they're all fake but he doesn't like he goes on this really long kind of sermon um he's facing charges and they ask him if, if it's true and he, he just it takes the opportunity to defend himself or instead of defending himself to speak for truth uh and in a very obviously very selfless way ultimately giving up his life I think the thing that we learned from this and actually what you guys were just talking about is that in all of this, like God's mission is a priority. It's uh, he chooses God's mission over his own self-preservation. And we will have more opportunity, more situations like, like Kathleen's where we'll have either the mission of caring for people well in a job that God's called you to, um, or being with your husband, like a, like a normal married couple. And there's going to be a great cost to living out God's mission in um in your life and we're all going to have kind of different unique challenges to that and in god's life or, or in the life that god's called us to uh we're supposed to be uh putting god's mission above our um above our our own and there'll always be an expense to ourselves so of course there is a cost to speaking the truth um there always will be like we cannot have the comfortable life and the Christian life. Like it just doesn't work, which is difficult for most of us who have like kind of very comfortable lives. It's always going to be difficult, but joining God's mission will always have a cost. Always will. Stephen was killed by people picking up rocks and throwing them at him over and over. What a horrible way to die. Like I would, I don't want to die that way, but Stephen was so dedicated to loving these people who are killing him that he asks God to forgive them. Even as they're murdering him, like that's not a human thing. That does not come from us. That comes from something else. It's a God thing. Stephen is full of the spirit. His heart is reflecting God's heart and he's joining God's mission kind of at a great expense to himself. And so I, I just want to maybe take a second too and, and ask the question, how does God use this? Because how does God use this? It use Stephen's martyrdom because it spurred persecution. Like if you look at um, verse eight, one, if I can bring it up here, scroll down this very uh, long sermon. Uh, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church, and everyone was scattered. Uh, and where are they scattered to? Jerusalem and Samaria. Now, this should be a bit familiar. Uh, if you turn back to Acts 1.8, or if you look on the back of your Acts book, if you have it, 
Uh, this is the promise that Jesus gave the church before he went back up into heaven. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, where they are now, and in all Judea and Samaria, where they're going to, and to the ends of the earth, which we'll get to later on. So what we're seeing is this is Acts 1-8 happening in this story. The first martyr, the strong persecution, the Christian refugees. This is all how God is actually advancing his church, not in a way we would pick, not in a way we would think. But God is uh, stronger and, and knows a lot more than us. So the church grows in a lot of in a lot of ways. Last week we taught we saw how the church grew because of healthy leadership and structures and healthy leaders. This week it's through persecution, like and people being scattered, people having to leave their homes because people are going to die for what they believe in. Now this should be encouragement for us today that even in death, even in the lack of physical meeting together and in the weirdness of whatever this is for however long it's going to last. God will advance his church. God's purposes will always come through in the way that God wants them to. But what did this look like for Stephen? He didn't see that happen. He was killed. He was mar- He didn't know. He was just being pelted by rocks. Often, we can be so myopic and just see like the six inches in front of our face. And we say, how is God going to use that? What was going through Stephen's mind? He's like, I just stood up for you, God. And, and to great cost to myself, I'm being killed. What was that for? Surely he, he would feel like it's completely useless and, and, and wasteful. But we don't always know how God's going to use what we say. We don't always know, always know how God's going to use what we do. We just don't know. And we should be okay with that because we're servants. We're not the master. We're the servants. And our hope is in what we do. It's not in what we say. Our hope is in God who works through the things we do and the things that we say. And that frees us to not be God. So maybe um, another way to think about it is uh, my dad growing up, would uh, take what he would call shortcuts, but they're also basically, I mean, they were always long cuts because they always took much longer to get anywhere. If we were driving from point A to point B, he would say, oh, it's a shortcut, but it's actually like you just travel for another 15, 20 minutes before you actually get there. Uh, I think um, what now feels like and what it must've felt like for Stephen and for the church then was like a really, really long cut but Jesus isn't concerned with getting from point A to point B as quickly as possible, as much as he's concerned with how we go along, how we lean into him when things like this come by. So he's not concerned about growing us growing as quickly as possible. He's not concerned with the church growing as quickly as possible. He's concerned with people knowing him and leaning into him. And that takes time. And sometimes we're not going to understand what's going on there. We could be going left when we think we're supposed to be going right. Maybe going backwards when we think we're supposed to be going ahead. And it's just, it's um, not always going to work in the way that we expect, which makes sense because if we say we follow Jesus, that means we're going to go down paths that we wouldn't have chosen ourselves. If we want Jesus to follow us, we're always going to go down the paths that we want and we'll always be down comfortable ways. But that's not how it works. That's not how this whole thing works. It works with Jesus, if with us following Jesus, going down the path that Jesus chooses. And sometimes those paths are narrow. Sometimes they have thorns. Sometimes those paths are broad and sometimes it's really pretty. Sometimes it's really scary. We don't really know. But the thing is, it's not about the path itself. It's about following the one who leads us down those paths. And so maybe you're like me after setting all this kind of stuff up over and over and over again. It's still not, it's not going to work perfectly. Maybe you need to be reminded this morning that you're not the one leading Jesus around. You don't have to wear that on your back. You don't have that burden. You don't have that responsibility. You don't have that power. All you have to do is follow Jesus for the very next step and whatever that looks like. So Stephen had this resolve. He was able to be faithful even when being martyred because he knew that you couldn't have the comfy life and the Christian life all the time together. 
because at times they're going to be opposed. So God may not always be working in the ways that we want. I mean, it didn't work for Stephen. No one wants to do that. We shouldn't chase after martyrdom, but that's his prerogative because God's in charge, not us. And let's not waste our suffering by not seeing where he is in all this. So where is God in all of Stephen actually dying here? Where is he in this text? So Stephen's being killed, verse 55 of chapter 7. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God the Father and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. The Trinity is right there. Full of the Spirit, I see heaven open. I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. God is there. He is always there. The Holy Spirit is at work, and that allowed Stephen to see the Trinity at work in the most impossible circumstances. And this is a difficult thing because often when we go through trials, we think that we're going through it alone. We don't even tell another human being, dare others think that we need help or that we're not, you know, all everything that we say we are. And then we think Jesus is on the outside looking in if he's there at all. But this story tells us even if you were killed for what you believe in, if you were pelted by rocks, by angry, furious religious leaders who were busy gnashing their teeth, like God is right there with you, the Trinity at work, fulfilling his purposes. And you are never, you can never go too far to where God isn't there. And this isn't easy. Um, so maybe uh, I would love to hear from you all in uh, what might make this, and how, how is this difficult for you and for your life? And before I unmute, maybe while you're thinking about that, um, for me, I like to plan things. I like to be in charge of things. I like to uh, take advantage of opportunities. And so if there are opportunities left like not taken advantage of. I'm like, oh, it's really frustrating. Um, so generally, it's, it's a basic type A kind of personality. If I can't plan it and make it go all the way that I want, then uh, surely God is not in this and God doesn't know what he's doing. But obviously, that's uh, not true. So that's something I just need to be constantly repenting of. Um, let me unmute you guys. and We'd love to get kind of feedback of, of why this might be difficult for you all. And you'll have to probably unmute yourself first if you speak. Um, so I think for us, I don't know if people can hear us, um, but the the challenge of just um, kind of you have your daily rhythm, you have the things you do, um, especially with like the Liz and the the, uh, the girl, but they have places that they have um, activities they do, and ultimately rely a lot on that. They rely on a lot on the fact that. Um, I guess places they can build the life around that. And suddenly that gets taken. And you kind of have a, a question about like. What, what what is actually in your life anymore because you you start to assume that your life is basically these things you do your life is these places you go to these people you see and so if they're taken away it's like your life is just vanished um i think for us it, it's, it's a similar experience to like when we first had april um that you know your, your life as you know has changed i think the difference this time is that i guess when you have a kid you're kind of expecting it you're you're, you're you have a certain level of preparation and you realize that that's 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 going to happen to you whereas this has just been Blue, you know, what weeks ago we were sort of thinking we should do more hand washing at church was like the level to which we went. And now two weeks later, here we are all sat inside all the time. So I think that the, mm. the suddenness of mm. your life changing, which makes you realize what you base your life on. Mm. Mm. That's good. Yeah. Anybody else resonate with that? Yeah, I'd, I'd say the same. Um, the... First, you know, it's kind of first they took away my sports and then they, now they've taken away my kids' education and now they've taken away the nip and tipple. 
and it, and it's those kind of things that you are just part of the rhythm of rhythm of your life. I, you know, I, you know, you have said to you that I found the, uh, the it's particularly hard what's happened to the kids with the education, particularly those uh, with GCSEs and A levels coming up, such as James. So I, you know, I, I found that really hard, and it's been a salutary lesson for me because I think I thought I was in a better place than I was before before all this, and it's. Um, it's good to hear a lot of the things that you said this morning about, um, you know, the, the road the road that we travel as Christians, and when we sort of build up this sort of we have the fortune of living where we are and having jobs and lifestyles, um, <coughs> maybe we've been too reliant on too reliant on that and not reliant on God enough. And uh, I think I've found the last few days, um, you know, pretty strong wake up call in that respect. <laughs> Yeah, I think we're all in that boat. Um, let me uh, finish with this last point, but uh, I just want to say, you guys may not know, but Tim and Lisa Cocking are uh, over there in Thailand. Thanks for coming in, guys. <laughs> They're great friends. <laughs> That's awesome. Let me, uh, but, uh, let me just uh, finish this last point here, and then we'll, um, we'll um, uh, continue with kind of more, uh, more responses um, like this. Uh, more interactive aspect, but let me see back to sharing desktop. There we are. Okay. So last thing. So God's mission is priority. Um, and then, uh, the last one is, and this is proof by the length of Stephen's Stephen's sermon basically is like famous last words and paragraphs and, and, uh, long time going is, uh, he knew the Bible. He was, I mean, he really knew the Bible. Like, your, your very last words would be kind of like, uh, please don't hurt me. But he's kind of like, no, I'm going to start all the way back from the beginning of, of Israel and talk about all, all these kind of things. I mean, he's really um, goes deep into what's going on here. Abraham, Joseph, slavery in Egypt, Moses, God's people being free to worship him, uh, going through the wilderness, King David, over and over and over again, God's rescued his people and uh, has made himself known. And how have his people responded in 751? It says, uh, basically, this is what gets him in real trouble. Stephen talked to these people who are really religious and know these stories, would have memorized these stories, actually. They would know, like, they memorized the, these Old Testament books. You stiff-necked people, your hearts are still uncircumcised. You always resist the Holy Spirit, culminating in the killing of Christ himself. These people knew the stories. They had the law. They had no idea what it meant. They knew the stories, but they didn't know the meaning. And... Uh, the little that they did know, they didn't want to follow. And people say, you know, if God wants me to believe him, you know, he'll give me a sign. He has like over and over and over. There's literally a book you could read of all the signs like in your own language of all the signs God has given you over and over and over. And signs by themselves do not always lead to people coming to faith, which is proof of this story here. These people are very religious. They're doing all the things. They put our religion to shame. And uh, yet they still miss God. God's people missed God over and over and over again. It led, uh, having the knowledge without having the relationship leads to people being stiff-necked, people being stubborn, people knowing about God, but completely missing who he is. It's a lack of repentance because that leads to pride that comes from that kind of knowledge. And it actually reminded me of uh, these posters for uh, national parks in America. So, I don't know if you guys have seen this or not. An artist in America found the worst travel, the worst reviews online for these really famous places. Let me see if I can make this bigger. Um, and uh, 
there's some drawings on here. Oh, well, we'll leave that on there. Um, and basically made like travel posters for very kind of famous, famous things. Here's uh, somewhat bland, which is what people say about my preaching. Oh, um, what's the next one that we have here? Uh, too orange, too spiky. This is like, you know, crazy rock formations. One star review. Do not go back. Literally miles of white sand. And that's all it is. A hole, a very large hole to describe the Grand Canyon. That's basically what it is. One star, not worth, not worth, not worth the going. Trees block. This is for Yosemite. Trees block view and there are too many gray rocks. What were people expecting when they went to Yosemite? What view are they expecting? I, I don't know. Like just the sky, just grass. I mean, but these re- these reviews are just not getting it. They're there at the place. They see the thing, and they're completely missing the grandeur of the thing itself. This this is exactly how God's people, like us, have missed are able to miss God. And this is why it's so important to not just read the Bible, but to bring our lives to the Bible. Like God is always speaking to us in the Bible in this book. If I had it in my hand, He's always in our lives. We're always in a state of needing God to speak into them. Just like kind of how, how Ross said, like, it's so easy without us even knowing, without us wanting to. It's not like I'm, I'm going to get a good job so that I can forget about God. But it's something that we're just kind of will drift to unless we have the Bible speaking to us and people in the community bringing us to, that, to the word. So when we come across stories and passages that we know are going to be difficult to respond to, do we cover our ears and scream, kind of like what we read this morning? Or do we surrender? Do we keep our arms, our hands open? And how does your small story of your life makes sense in light of God's big story. You can't even begin to answer that question unless we actually knew what the Bible was about. The story about how much God loves us and the lengths that he will go to win us back to himself. The Bible is foundational for Stephen's life. Clearly, it was the things he wanted to say the last before he died. And if we want to have the same kind of meaning, the same kind of direction, the same kind of passion, the same kind of resolve, it has to be part of ours as well. And so um, I want to know how we can, uh, as God's people here in Redeemer, how we can not waste our pandemic and how, how we can, t- can continue to grow in these kind of areas that we talked about here. Um, so uh, maybe um, before I, I mute everybody, if you could think of, uh, sorry, let me unshare my screen. Um, think of, so the, uh, we don't have to start new structures, but our, the structures that we have already existing will, will have to look different like this today. So we have Sunday worship, we have missional communities, we have core groups, we have all, or all just kind of like the random kind of friendships that we have with each other. Um, what are ways that we could kind of continue to grow in the ways that we hear about this story? I, I would just like to know what your thoughts are and I'll unmute you. There's someone got a car back it up. <laughs> For me, um, I was speaking to a young lady this morning. Um, I, I give out food different places, and she was so open and just wanting to know. People are really are wanting to know at the moment. They want answers, and uh, if, if we've got the answer, we've got the cure, then we should surely share it. Every opportunity we have. It's such a gift from God, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. But I'm sometimes I am so the worst person in the world to share, and I forget, and I forget God's love. Shame on me! But um, when you are when you are in the spirit, you just can't help but 
be full of the joy of the Lord and this wonder that God has put in my life. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. If there's ever been a time where um, the uh, comforts of life that keep mortality at bay, that's been eroded now, hasn't it? So it's definitely um, a time where people will be asking those questions in a way they hadn't before. Yeah. I think it will be easier to ask people to church on Sunday morning <laughs> now because they don't have to get out of bed even. They can just yeah. log in and join in and hear the word of God. And I think I'm certainly going to ask um, Tim, my son down in, in Southampton, to join us next Sunday morning for the service just so that he, he actually hears the word of God. And I think there's nothing to stop us telling other people that, if you want to hear what God's saying, you know, log into Redeemer and here's the login <laughs> yeah. and listen to what we've got to do. I think for me, that would be the easiest thing to do. Mm. Um, I've got a friend who, um, well, she's a colleague actually, um, who I just bumped into recently. Um, she's She's got awful problems with one of her daughters because she, her daughter's got sort of mental health problems and, um, I said, oh, you know, I've been praying. It's all good. And and three days later, I get a text from her saying, thank you so much for your prayers. I'm feeling so much better. Um, you know, really, really inspired by what you said to me. And, and I had no idea. I just, it was a, off the, I mean, I've known her a long time, but um, I think this this actually makes it easier for us to 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 talk to people about God because, because people are thinking about the the fact that they're mortal and they're going to die sometime, uh, and God has got a, you know, maybe got something to to say to them about it. So, I'm really encouraged. <laughs> I mean, I'm really encouraged, especially this morning. It's been great to see everybody and 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 hi Claire, I can see you now. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm Rachel and yours, yeah. So um, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, and and even if people don't want to join in the actual like Zoom call thing, like they can always just go to the website and watch it, which is such an easy way to look in without having to feel like, you know, or or being scared of what is this going to require of me. Yeah. But yeah, no, that's a good point. It's good. Maybe just to uh, just to finish here, um, I. I think the only way that we can have something that is worth dying for is because Jesus himself died for it. So Stephen doesn't point to himself. Like he doesn't say like, oh, thank God that God made me courageous or brave. Like that, that's not what it's about. And Luke, who's writing about this, who thinks a lot about Stephen, um, isn't saying Luke was a really brave person because he was born that way or because he figured it out through this hard scrabble life or because, you know, he, he got his stuff together. No, like Stephen through Luke's writing, um, points to Jesus. And, and the way that Luke tells the story actually is really interesting because so Stephen, I mean, think of like the, uh, the connections with, with Stephen and Jesus. Stephen performed great wonders and signs. Sounds familiar. Uh, religious leaders made false accusations against them. Religious leaders stirred up a fickle crowd in order to murder them. Um, Stephen had the face like an angel. The injustice of a system, of, of people at the top of a system, led to the murder of an innocent person. And Stephen calls for forgiveness even while they're killing him. 
So if, if Stephen is like a sign pointing to Christ, like we don't stand gawking at the sign. We don't say, oh man, let's all be like Stephen. No, we, we look to Jesus. We say, oh, let's all, be, let's all be like Jesus. That's what Stephen would have wanted. That's what Stephen wanted his hearers to hear then. That's what Stephen wants us to hear now as we continue to read the story and bring our lives to it. So Jesus, he led a life that was always full of the Spirit. And that's good news for us because Jesus died and he rose again so that we can have his life and we can have his spirit. For Jesus, God's mission was a priority and thank him for that. The good news for us is that Jesus's mission saves us from all our small missions and all our small missions are always going to lead to fear. It's always going to lead to anxiety because it's all about us trying to figure it out in our, on our own terms. And this really does, it gives us something worth dying for, which is a life worth living for. And that's one of the uh, amazing things that we get to hear at a very timely passage. Even we didn't have to change what we were really preaching about this morning. Um, because as bad as this is now for us, and, and you know, let's assume things will get worse. Let's assume things will get more difficult. Uh, at, even in the worst of circumstances of being pelted by rocks until you die, like God is still there. He still loves us. And he's still moving his church forward on his terms. And maybe the scary thing for us is it requires, for, well, for us, for me, and maybe for some of you too, it requires us to trust God in ways that we hadn't been called to yet in our, in our lives. So in some ways, this is a great opportunity to not waste our pandemic, to be like, well, this is an opportunity to lean into Jesus. It's an opportunity to, to do all sorts of things, to respond in all sorts of ways. But surely for those who follow Jesus, who say that we follow Jesus, it's an opportunity first for us to be able to press more into him.